Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Lakers Side Chats. I'm your host as always, Alan Ramich. Joining me today is a returning guest, a long overdue return. He is the editor of Silver Screen and Roll, uh, Harrison Fagan. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. You know, like I, it's, I feel like my standard answer on these podcasts has become like, you know, I'm doing as good as anyone can be at this point. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm, uh, you know, I'm able to work from home. Basketball's back. Like, you know, I, I don't have a lot to complain about, man. How are you? I'm good, man. It's, it's, it's fun to be able to talk about basketball that isn't scrimmage games. Like yeah, that's why <laughs> basketball that is more than theoretical. Like even having scrimmages back was fun just because it meant we weren't talking about like, like, oh, when will they be back? What are they going to look like? We kind of know, like we're starting to learn what they're going to look like and how all this is going to go. And you know what? I think the bubbles looked a lot better, um, you know, before we go into the Lakers and whatnot. I've, I've been really surprised by how effective, you know, the presentation of the bubbles been. I think it's been really, really good so far. Yeah, I, I honestly think that the basketball, like, I, I, you know, occasionally you notice that there's not fans, but to be honest, like, that's not really something I look for when I'm watching a basketball game anyway. Like, you know, I, I'm sure it seems weirder if you're there, but like on TV, honestly, it seems about the same. Like, I, I'm uh, like, I have not really missed having the fans at all. No, it's it, it's been it's been very, um, like you said, it's just nice having any type of actual physical basketball back. And I mean, you know, partly, yeah, it's probably because it's been so long since we actually had it that, like, that yeah. basketball on TV, like, we forgot what normal basketball looks like. But for me, like, from a presentation perspective, like, I, I thought it's been like, you know, after a few early hiccups during the scrimmages, like, I thought the two regular season games that the Lakers have played have been really well, like, put together. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, especially from like the, um, the commentators seem to be, you know, very in tune with the game as well. There isn't any hiccup. It seems to just be a really, you know, like like with everything the NBA seems to do, you know, Adam Silver, we you know, he has his, obviously no one's perfect at the job, but Adam Silver, to be honest with you, I think, again, has, you know, exceeded expectations with this whole bubble and he's done a really good job, unlike the MLB and the NFL, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, low bar, but, you know, they've, they've certainly cleared it. No, that, uh, we. I mean, we talked about that low bar earlier yeah. off show about COVID, but you know, um, it's still you know to get this type of. Um, obviously, it's been very difficult. You know, there was a lot of um, criticism beforehand whether the season should go ahead, but you know they, they've made it super safe. You know, obviously the snitch line helps. You know, shout outs to Dwight <laughs> Howard. <laughs> Wear your mask. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the NBA gave out that warning today where they said like repeat offenders like it might even like get fined, suspended, even kicked out of the bubble. So like you know Dwight's got to wear his mask. Uh, Terrence Davis has got to stop poking holes in his. You know like the the mask truthers need to get it together in the bubble. Oh, and Jonathan Isaac will hold a sermon very shortly about the lack of mask needing. <laughs> yeah, oh god, I don't I don't even want to get started on that. <laughs> Uh, let's go back onto the Lakers. Obviously, the Lakers have played two games. They've split them. They've all but secured the number one spot. Obviously, there's still the formality of having to actually win a game or the yeah. Clippers to lose another game before they secure it. Um, let's, let's just touch on the Clippers game first. Obviously, it was the first game. and um, I don't know about you, but it seemed like a very um, playoff-type environment where you know both teams were going super hard. Obviously, there was a lot of mistakes, but... You know, I think it was an awesome first game to have back for the Lakers. You know, it was really well contested. It was it was a fun game to watch as well. 
Yeah, like it was ugly at points, but it was ugly in the way that like playoff basketball is ugly. Like not like it didn't feel like you know, and I think some of it probably was rust, but like just because of how hard both teams were going, it felt less like rust and more like teams forcing each other into mistakes and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, it felt like playoff basketball was a great way to get the season started. Like I I thought, you know, I was, I continued to be encouraged by the Lakers, like after that game, you know, I think that for that, a lot of people made a big deal about like Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams being gone. That's 40 points that are away. The, the Lakers only won by, what was it, like seven or something? Uh, four? Mm-hmm. No, it was two. It was two points. Two. two points. 103, yeah. 101. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew it was close. Um, I'm just like, you know, that's five days ago now. So my brain, you know, <laughs> brain eliminated that as unnecessary information at this point, uh, the final score of that game. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, you can look at it that way, but you can also look at it as like both of those guys are honestly defensive liabilities against the Lakers, mm-hmm. the Lakers, were, especially Lou. Um, and so, like, I, I was really encouraged the Lakers were able to win a game where LeBron really didn't play well. They didn't shoot well at all. It was their worst shooting game of the season until the Raptors game uh they waited a whole game before setting a new low uh and like the fact that they were able to kind of like you know get a little bit grimy and grind that one out like I I thought was an encouraging sign and you know I honestly like I really like the way that they match up with the Clippers like I have become increasingly like throughout the season like the first after the first two games I seemed a little bit like a Lakers truther like in the sense of like (laughs) I was saying like no I'm not really worried like uh, to be honest like I don't I think the Lakers still have a chance I know they've lost both of these games but they've lost them in ways that like may not necessarily be repeat themselves over seven games. And I think you've seen a little bit of the things that I was, you know, kind of having faith in over these two, uh, the second two games that they played against the Clippers. And so I like, I, I really like their matchup there. I, I you know, I'm not going to guarantee that they beat the Clippers in the series in a series, but I feel a lot more confident that they will after watching, uh, you know, the, them play each other four times this season, even the games where the Lakers lost, I felt like, you know, they showed why they're a pretty good matchup against the Clippers. Well, just to touch on your point about, you know, Lou and Trez being defensive liabilities, Lou hasn't been good offensively against us either. Like, if you look at his stats, he's averaging around 10.8 to 11 points a game. The Lakers have guys that can defend guards, and you you see the impact of Yeah, you see Caruso there a little bit. You know, like, we all know, like, there's the Caruso versus Lou comparison graphic going around that I made earlier during uh, (laughs) during the quarantine. Off a lot of Clippers fans, and uh, look, I'm not going to say that necessarily I would take Caruso over Lou like straight up or anything like as a basketball player, but for what the Lakers are trying to do, like you know, like I'm not going to, I want to be careful how I phrase this so that I don't (laughs) online again, but like. Lou is a little bit of a luxury for the Clippers in the sense that like they have guys who can do the things that he does better and also not are not complete defensive liabilities. Whereas Caruso just kind of augments what the Lakers do and helps it. And so like, I honestly, like I, I don't think Lou Williams is that big of a deal. Like in this, in this specific matchup to me. No, I agree with you. And especially when you look at the way that LeBron just like, he kills him whenever they switch that pick and roll. Yeah. Even either he scores or he finds a really good look for a teammate every time they switch it, like, Lou Williams onto him. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think there's a lot of optimism there. Um, also, I think, you know, the Clippers, especially Paul George, I think the likelihood of Paul George playing that well every single time in a seven game series, I don't see it personally. I don't know what you think, but I think he was exceptional on on Thursday evening. And the fact that what, you I don't, you don't very good. playoff P. 
You don't think playoff he's <laughs> coming up to show all seven games and uh, like gonna, gonna show out? When when he plays well against Joe Ingles, that's when I'll be. <laughs> <a true fan. laughs> I really like. I don't. I don't know exactly where the seedings are for everyone else. Like I've only been paying attention to one and eight for the most part. But like, I really want the Jazz to match up with them again in the playoffs. Like somehow, uh, that would be amazing if like Joe Ingles really caused Paul George to struggle again. Those were some of my favorite <laughs> nights on Twitter last. But like that'll be when it really feels like the NBA is back. Is when we're back slandering Paul George for his playoff performances. Or, or Chris Paul finds some secret tunnels in the Orlando yeah, exactly. against the yeah. I, I was making jokes when uh, like the Paul George fishing photos went viral. I was like, oh, he's like he's activated playoff mode already. Like he's ready for uh, you know this time of year. Like he's, he's <laughs> I'm just waiting for the one, two, three Cancun from him. <laughs> yeah. You know, hey, look, the way things have been going with the Clippers this year, I don't think I don't think that's an impossible thing that we might get a one, two, three Cancun chant from them at some point. The thing with the Clippers, though, um, and I'm sure you, you can attest to this as well, there's been a lot of reports over the year where they don't seem to like each other very much. And in a bubble environment especially, it seems to be a case of, like, the people who like each other, and obviously basketball talent helps a lot, but yeah. if you like each other as a group and then you have the basketball talent on top of it, you're much better set up to actually do well in this bubble in comparison to teams that don't like each other anyway. Yeah, like, if the Wizards really, really like each other, like, that probably doesn't matter. <laughs> like, I guess it'll Is help. That Isaac like, Bunga slang. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's actually, it's pronounced Isak. I did not know this, but, like, oh, wow. is, yeah, I, I learned that after he joined the Wizards. I, like, I, I, I've talked, I talked to him multiple times. I had no idea. He never corrected me. I don't know if I ever called him, like, Isaac, like, because we were always, like, in, like, mm -hmm. It brought to each other, and I don't know if I ever actually said his first name, but I feel bad um, that I did not. <laughs> like, I spent a whole year. I did not know that how that was pronounced. Um, but no, yeah. I mean, if the Wizards get along, that doesn't matter. But I, you know, for a contender, a team that's going to be there for a long time and really needs to have their chemistry at you know like a ninety or above, like I think, yeah, I think the chemistry really matters. I think the fact that the Lakers really like each other really matter. Like, it, it has to matter a little bit. It's not going to, like you said, it's not going to help you overcome a talent deficit. But we've heard enough smoke and stuff from the Clippers this year that this is a team that doesn't always get along and doesn't always like the way that Kawhi and Paul George are kind of treated as, like, first-class citizens and the rest of the team is kind of like, all right, well, you're the role players a little bit. Uh, whereas the Lakers, you know, AD and LeBron get treated like that, but for whatever reason, and I think that some of this speaks to probably especially LeBron's superior leadership skills to either of Kawhi or Paul George like the Lakers for whatever reason have been able to get the guys to rally around that rather than seeing it as like and probably some of it is that this team did not have success before they got there where the Clippers did and so it, like I'm sure to some degree it's that but I also think that that's where you're seeing a little bit of LeBron's leadership style like you know the fact that he's able to somehow like get out there with the straight face that he's really roughing it and he didn't bring his security guard and you know his personal chef and his masseuse <laughs> because he wants to be just like his teammates. Like, yeah, nothing to do with uh, the Lakers travel party restrictions, I'm sure, well, that, that decision-making. But look, like, they're they're all buying into it. They're all buying into, you know, like, they, they all just clearly like each other. And I think that he's really... Every time you hear one of these guys talk uh, about him and his leadership style, it's how he's just one of the guys. Like, he does, when he's around them, he does not act like, I'm LeBron James, NBA superstar. He definitely wields that power, for sure, in the organization. But it's not something where, you know, like, he's walking up to, you know, like, JaVale McGee and telling him to grab his bags or something like that. Yeah. Like, he's not, it's not like, he, he's not asking for preferential treatment among his teammates.
which is awesome. Like, it's nice to have an NBA team, especially covering a team. You know, obviously, we we, we cover the Lakers a lot closer than any other team. Um, with the, it's nice having a team that likes each other so much because it just creates a it's a positive atmosphere. It creates a positive ambient for you to cover them as well, though. It's like it's not constant negativity on your side either, which I think makes the job a lot easier as well. Oh, for sure. I mean, it makes the job more enjoyable that they all like each other and they're all willing to razz each other a little bit and stuff like that. <laughs> like, it, it just makes it more fun to be around. It's like, I mean, think about people that you like hanging out with, like, or coworkers mm-hmm. or whatever, because that's like, I mean, we don't work for the same company, but like, you know, when they're not in a bubble, like, we're around each other and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And like, it, it's a lot more fun to be around a group of people that clearly really like each other than a group that is like openly hostile, you know? Like, no. Which is kind of how the Clippers are <laughs> for the media, from what I've heard. So, you know. And also, like, the, the, the most encouraging thing I've take, I took from the Clippers game is the impact of the bench I found for the Lakers, especially from Kyle Kuzma and Dion Waiters. Um, Dion Waiters in both games and Kuzma in both games. We'll touch on the Raptors game, obviously, after, the, after we, you know, round up the Clipper talk. But um, I found it very positive. And, you know, um, obviously you hate injuries happening to Rondo, you know, as much as you know, you think about his basketball ability. Whatever you think about injuries, are always an awful thing, and you don't yeah. wish it upon anyone. Especially to have to get surgery during a pandemic. Precisely. Like, like nobody, nobody was. Not even the people who hate Rondo were rooting for. As a basketball player, were rooting for that. Like that just sucks. And especially by all accounts, he seemed like a decent human, you know. No, he's, a, he's, you know? I, I, I think Rondo is like, you know, he's a beloved teammate. Like, he's a good leader. Mm-hmm. He's clearly like, you know, like he's, he's had his slip ups publicly for sure. But like, he's also a guy who like does a lot of charity work, like has continued to do a lot of work in Chicago where he only played for like one year and continue to mentor kids there and, mm-hmm. you know, do work in his hometown. Like Rondo is uh, like, you know, if we're, if we're ranking, like Rondo is definitely on the better side of people than like, you know, he, he has his, you know, flaws just like anyone, but like he, he's a good dude overall. No, definitely. And, you know, obviously there was a lot of, um, you know, the edible incident with the young waiters didn't help at the, at the beginning of the NBA season, which feels like an eternity ago. Um, but, you know, the fact that the Lakers could get him and Markeith Morris, I know he didn't play a lot against the Clippers and, uh, he, you know, his minutes ramped up a little bit against the Raptors as well. But being able to get impact players like that basically for nothing is an awesome get for the Lakers in my opinion I'm sure you, you agree but. yeah for sure and like all, not just get impact players but get guys who give you elements that you didn't mm-hmm. have before this is kind of what I keep going back to like the Lakers didn't have someone who could create shots for themselves like Deion Waiters can't you know other than obviously LeBron like but uh, yeah. you know like outside of him like they did not have a guy like that especially off the bench and so he gives them a different dynamic like Markeith Morris is a guy who I think could be really ma- valuable he didn't play really in that matchup against the Clippers if at all but like he he's a guy who you know once he starts to get his legs back under him you got to remember he missed the entire training camp with the team all of that stuff and you know he's got to get himself back into playing shape and things like that so like they're going to take it a little slower with him I thought he was okay against the Raptors he yes you know not a great shooting night but I thought that he showed like you know that he can have value for this team and I I think that he'd be even more valuable in a matchup versus the Clippers um, just because he gives the Lakers that ability to play small if they need to if the Clippers are really shooting their bigs off the floor 
floor. Um, and like for a lot of, for other reasons as well, but like, yeah, they just give the Lakers guys and types of players that they didn't have before. Like Morris is like a little bit, he, he's like a more rugged, like Kyle, like Kyle Kuzma archetype of player in this mm-hmm. sense. Like he's not the scorer shooter that Kuz is by any means, but just in terms of giving the Lakers kind of a, that size power forward that can actually do power forward things versus like, you know, Kyle Kuzma, who's more of like a wing trapped in a power forward role for a lot of the time. Um, like, you know, that's helpful for them to have that dynamic. And J.R. Smith is a guy who like can, he can come in and get hot. Like he's not always going to, but Precisely. and like, if that helps the Lakers win one playoff game at the vet minimum, like that was worth the signing. Definitely. And especially like, like the way you put it with Markeith Morris, he sort of makes everyone slot, you know, Pete Zayas, Laker film room. Awesome. You know, he's magnificent. Yeah. You know, congrats to Pete again for the, you know, exactly. Um, he always says it and it's like, you know, Markeith Morris just made everything slot nicer because yeah. you get to move Kuzma up to the wing spot. You get LeBron, you get AD. Obviously I think, Frank Vogel's been very smart where he may be even sacrificing a game or two here or there in these next eight games, still playing the two big lineup quite a bit. Sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but like to, you know, that's been a storyline over the first two games. And look, like Dwight and JaVale, like for the most part, Dwight had his moments last night, but like Mm -hmm. for the most part, those two guys have not looked good to start the restart. You know, I think how can you not guess that it's going to take bigger guys a little bit longer to kind of get into playing shape and whatever? You know, I like I, I think like look, look they're going to have to probably go small at some point. I'm not willing to say Javale Dwight like that they're both just washed and that that big lineup that was working Precisely. so well is just never going to work anymore because they've had two bad games after four months off. Like you know, I, I think it just may take them a little bit of time to round into form. And it's. It's that instantaneous reaction that we were talking about a little bit, where it's like, you know, as soon as the Lakers lose, it's like panic stations, the world's over, but we won 50 games playing exactly the same way up until this point, you know. Yeah. Um, shouts to Tim Bontemps, by the way, you know, Lakers won't get to 50 games. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, they, hey, they, they, they had to wait till after like a global pandemic that sidelined the NBA season, but they sure showed him. <laughs> LeBron somewhere in a dark room circling that tweet going, we yeah, showed they ended, you. I'm sure they ended uh, all their huddles with one, two, three, prove, prove Bontemps <laughs> The opposite of Paul George with the Cancun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but, but I digress, and um, obviously with the Lakers, um, I, we can go into the Raptors game now. Um, the fact that they sure. stayed relatively competitive shooting as bad as they have, and obviously you, you brought up a really good point where conditioning, especially with bigger guys, we've seen it in, the, in the most of the NBA though. Like all the bigger guys, apart from Nurkic, who you know came back and looked phenomenal against the Grizzlies. Yeah. Um, you know, most of them seem to be a little bit off the pace, and like you said, you know, seven foot guys. I think they do need, and I agree with you there. Where you know, even Mark Gasol last night looked a bit rusty. Um, Ibaka didn't look, you know, like he did, uh, you know, before the pandemic. So I, 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 I think in, you know, you maybe, you know, you might be onto something there where, you know, like we need to maybe give them a little bit more time. Like there's still another also, they may be more prone to like sore legs and things like the ty- like Frank Vogel was talking to us yesterday before the Raptors game that some mm-hmm. of the players were complaining of soreness after their first like, you know, lengthy competitive game in four months, which is like, I mean, that's understandable. That's just how the human body reacts to like that kind of stuff. And Precisely. you know, if you're there, if you're Dwight and JaVale size that you may.
may be a little bit more prone to that than you are if you're like a smaller player or you're a player like LeBron, who's just superhuman, you know, like him, yeah. him and AD said that they were fine, but they also like AD brought up, he didn't play very much in the scrimmages. LeBron got to sit out of scrimmage, like, and JaVale and Dwight are just bigger. Like I thought JaVale looked like he was in incredible shape to start the mm -hmm. scrimmage round, but he also wasn't playing that many minutes then. So like, you know, I think this stuff is going to be like, people are expecting them to just like jump right back in where they left off. And, you know, like, uh, it's not even just the big guys. Like some people are just going to get off to slow starts. Like, I think we're seeing that a little bit with Danny green right now. He obviously started the season like incredibly hot from three and stuff. Like everybody remembers like the open, the, the opening night against the Clippers might be the best game he's played all year. Um, or at least the best he shot, like without looking. And, uh, you know, he had the buzzer beater against the Mavericks pretty soon after that. Like he started off hot, but like KCP and he hasn't during this, obviously, uh, like as evidence, I think he was the 13th trending topic in the U S last night. Like, uh, <laughs> we're not happy with, uh, the Danny green experience, but Sabrina merchant brought this up in our, uh, silver screen and roll slack that like, uh, and so I want to credit her for this point because I hadn't thought of it before, but like, this is now like if we're counting this as kind of a new season, this is like three seasons in a row where we've seen KCP get off to a slow start from the field. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, like I think that's worth acknowledging. But like KCP, he started off the season, you know, somewhat infamously shooting really, really horrible. <laughs> I, I don't think he made a field goal within the first no. two games, if I remember correctly. And uh, correct. like... Yeah, he, he was not good at all from the field. Like, he was fine defensively. I think that he he took probably a little bit more cyberbullying than he deserved. Um, but, like, he was not good shooting at all. And he's now, this is now another kind of season, like, you know, four-month offseason. That's longer than the real offseason where he's starting off a little slow from the field. I think that KCP has shown that there is a chance that he will rebound from this if you just mm -hmm. give him some time. And so, you know, look, I'm not trying to sit here and be a homer and, like, say, uh, you know, all of you are just haters. You're wrong. Like, I... <laughs> I understand why people are upset. You know, everyone's just happy to have basketball back. Mm -hmm. They want their team to win. But I'm just, you know, my job is like, I think to present like, you know, my takeaways from following this team as closely as I try to. And I think that there are very real reasons to acknowledge that they might be, that they might be struggling a little bit to score right now. I think the defense has looked really good. And, mm -hmm. you know, the I think the Raptors are a uniquely terrible matchup for them. This is a really hot take. But after watching last night, I honestly feel like the Lakers should be more afraid of a, the Raptors in a series than they should be against the Clippers. I just think that the Raptors are more uniquely suited to defend and give the Lakers problems than the Clippers are. No, I agree. And especially with the Raptors, like you said, I think, you know, obviously they won't be the best defensive team in the NBA, like we talked about off um, off recording, without, you know, obviously being a bad matchup for everyone. But I agree that, that they seem to be a bad matchup for the Lakers in particular. And the fact that LeBron and AD played as badly as they did last night because they, AD just seemed out of it, which again, like, you know, second game back, you know, these games are, you know, we, we, we can spin it however they want, but they're basically meaningless because the Lakers have more or less, you know, locked up the number one spot, you know, barring the, you know, the official formality of, you know, confirmation. Yeah. Um, so... I'm not coming off the if high it, of their first game back. They were also probably sore from that. Like, you know, like it, it, sometimes there are schedule losses, even in the bubble, you know, even with no travel. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think like this was, we probably should have expected this to be a little bit of a letdown game opportunity. 
especially after the type of game that the Clippers game was as well. You know, and it's the Raptors' first game in the bubble as well, so they were fresh. You know, obviously they had the scrimmage game. Oh, was that like their first game? I did not realize that. Yeah, that, was, yeah, that, okay, was that first makes game. even more sense. Like, they're, they're just uniquely suited to give the Lakers problems. Like, they have a lot of long, really physical guys that can kind of, you know, they're obviously not going to stop LeBron, but they can, like, they can provide a lot of help and make things difficult on LeBron while also making it, like, we saw how much they swarmed Anthony Davis and kind of, kind of, kind of tried to force the Lakers shooters to beat them or force Davis to like force up shots. And we've seen throughout the season, that's just not AD's strong suit. He's good at a lot of things, but like going and getting his own bucket is not like his strongest skill. He's not as good at it as he is at other things. And the Raptors just have like, you know, the Clippers a lot is made of their like defensive ability because, you know, they have, uh, they have Beverly, they have, um, I almost said Lou Will, not Lou Will. Uh, they, have, uh, <laughs> they have Paul George, they have Kawhi Leonard. Like Paul George cannot guard LeBron. Like that's just not a matchup that he's suited for. Kawhi can a little bit, but the Lakers are going to try and force switches and like get other guys in trouble off of that so that kind of neutralizes that advantage and the Clippers have enough guys to take advantage of in that where the Raptors really don't they don't have weak links for LeBron to attack even like you know guys were even trying to get Fred Van Vliet like switched on to them and like he's been an incredible like almost like Josh Hart yeah. level of like defending guys who think that they're going to bully him in the post like type of that you know just to give an example he yeah precisely yeah, yeah. But, like giving just an example that Lakers fans will remember like every team thought that they had something by switching Josh Hart onto their bigs like and then they real those guys realize they're like wait this guy's a fire hydrant like Josh <laughs> Hart is not like the best defender in the league by any means but he is specifically good at that one post-up skill and the Raptors have a lot of guys who are just really good at not getting bullied and the Lakers are the, at their best when they're bullying teams and so that yeah. really I think gives them some struggles where like you know e even Milwaukee and even like the Clippers are not as well equipped to give the Lakers issues as the Raptors are in my opinion like those are obviously threats to beat the Lakers. I'm not saying that the Lakers would automatically beat them. I just think that the Raptors are more well suited to give the Lakers def issues on offense than those teams are. And like you said, they have so many wing guys that they can just throw at LeBron. Like even if let's say an OG, OG and an OB, you know, gets in foul trouble, they bring on uh, a Rondé Hollis Jefferson or a Terrence Davis, or you know, they have this conveyor belt of really long wings who and are really good so defenders. Smart. Like there's no weak links, and they're so well coached, and they move so well in unison, and their game plans are mm -hmm. great. Like you know, Nick Nurse is going to win Coach of the Year, and he deserves it. Like you know, he he's incredible, Definitely. and like they're just they deserve all of like all of the flowers for like the way that they've you know survived the loss of Kawhi and just become this like tenacious bulldog team. And, you know, shout out to Nick Nurse. He started his, fun fact, he started his head coaching career here in Manchester, England. Yes, so, I knew that. Like, you know, like he he's he's a grinder, just like his whole team. Like, it probably allows him to relate to those guys a little bit. Like, you know, it's it's a little bit, it's not the same as Frank Vogel, but like, it's a, they're, they're similar journeys in that way of mm -hmm. like, I think, you know, may I, I think usually former players are able to walk into the locker room with a certain gravitas, whereas guys that were not, did not play, like really have to earn that from their players in different ways and I think Nurse and Vogel have both shown that like to their teams in different ways like hey I may not have played in the NBA but I started at the like at the bottom of the bottom like of where you can start and work my way up and like I have tangible knowledge that I can bring to the table and it's it seems like all like with Vogel as well what I've noticed is you know LeBron has his risk you know Vogel has LeBron's respect is what I wanted to yeah. say um which shows a lot because, you know, LeBron, and also LeBron's got a bit older, but LeBron's had documented issues with almost every single coach he's had in the NBA. 
Yeah, you know, uh, but I think that I think the difference here is that Vogel defers to him without being a pushover. Vogel is not yeah. my takeaway from the first year of the Frank Vogel experience is that he is a guy who very much like a very openly too like he doesn't try and project this like I am the floor general I make all the decisions. He talks about making decisions with LeBron and AD, but he also like is a guy that is willing to call them out on stuff just like he would any other player, which is something you have to do to get LeBron's respect. Like we saw that with uh, David Blatt, where like he. he had issues because he like tried to be basically like buddy buddy with LeBron among many other things but like he was not a guy that LeBron respected for the way that he went about his business whereas Frank is a guy he will bring tangible ideas to the table he will have a discussion and he's never going to criticize you publicly or act like he is like the boss of all bosses publicly like he's a guy who is like going to ask you whether or not the Lakers should have shoot around whether or not the Lakers should practice that day how long they should practice but he's also a guy that like if he's talked about like there are times where LeBron will try to keep practice going too long. And Frank says, no, 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 we need to rest. Like I, and he'll call him on it and stop it. But he's also like, he's not, he's not a taskmaster, but he is a guy uh, that like, he will work with you. And, but he will call you out when he thinks that you're wrong. And I think that like that combined with his clear basketball knowledge and the fact that the stuff that he's asking them to do works, like ultimately at the end of the day, that's like what it has to come down to. And most of his ideas and his coaching staff's ideas have been good. Um, you know, I think all of that in conjunction together, like the egalitarian nature, the the basketball IQ, all of that stuff, you know, has allowed him and LeBron and Anthony Davis to like all form like a really productive kind of triumvirate at the top of the Lakers along with Rob Polinka as well. You know, and I think he made, um, and I don't know how you feel about this, but after watching these past couple of games, I've been more encouraged by the Lakers, if anything else, and because, you know, I don't think the Lakers will shoot this badly in the playoffs, consistently anyway. I think there's still a lot of rust left yeah. and whatnot, and, you know, four months off, you know, right when you're ramping up to playing the playoffs in April, is a huge thing. I think that gets like missed a lot, like when we talk about basketball. And not just like, four months off, but they spent four months off and then they jump back into competitive basketball playing like hellacious defense. Like they like mm -hmm. Frank this is Frank's theory that he posited after the game, and I'm kind of inclined to agree with it, is that like they are playing so hard on defense that they kind of don't have their legs on their shots. And like, it, you know, if you notice, like they, they've been missing short, they've been missing short like, a lot. You know, yeah. like uncharacteristic, like uh, wide open misses. And so like, I, I just, I have a hard, they're not going to shoot, continue to shoot their worst shooting percentages of the season while playing this good of defense. Like, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I'm, if anything, I'm encouraged by these first two games. Just the fact that they were in, they were able to win one and stay in the other one, despite like their worst shooting nights of the year. And you know, and um, we, like like you said, because it and there's a lot of you know instantaneous reaction on social media. You know, the the the, the and shooting the, the easiest the, thing to flame guys for, like when guys precisely. Play well, like that's that's obvious. You can just pick that up really easily. It's easier to look on a box score and go, "This guy shot two for twelve. He had a bad game." You know, yeah. um, but like you said, it's it. Like the Raptors are really, really good, and yeah. you know Nick Nurse has done an awesome job with them, and they they seem to be a fun team to watch as well. Like I, I enjoyed the game last night. Obviously, we you know the Lakers losing isn't fun. You know, staying up till um, four thirty a.m. to watch the Lakers lose isn't great. However, you know it was a fun game to watch, and it wasn't the end of the world by any means, like people were projecting it to be. Like I, I really believe that. Yeah, no, I mean, once they, uh, like, once they beat the Jazz on Monday, everybody's going to be back to talking about Banner 17 and what I, you know, that's just the nature <laughs> of, of, like, how, how it goes on Lakers Twitter. 
I haven't stopped talking about Banner 17. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but well, I think you brought up a really good point because I think the um, the biggest news today, you know, obviously this is Sunday. Um, the biggest news from today has been, you know, the fact that there's there was I think it was on the Athletic. Correct me if I'm you know yeah. mistaken. Um, it was on the Athletic where they reported that you know the the Lakers haven't had shoot around and whatnot. And, and I'm sure you can clarify this, but, you know, as you said before we started recording, this seems to be a thing that the Lakers have practiced, um, you know, throughout the entire season so far. It's not just like, oh, because they're in the bubble, they're doing this. Yeah, so I, I saw Joe Varden write about this, and, like, he's been doing, like, NBA takeaways from, like, the game the night before. And, like, you know, the, one of the ones that he did for the Lakers was that, like, they are not having shoot-arounds. And he kind of, like, he had written earlier in the year, like, about how, like, you know, like, he had kind of, you know, posed the theory that the Lakers were doing something but just not calling it shoot-arounds so that they didn't have to have media. And he was corrected, and he said this in, like, this column that, like, no, 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 they're, like, actually not having a mandatory shoot-around. And I, I believe the sort quotes were like LeBron doesn't want to do it AD doesn't want to do it and they still kick ass without it so we're not going to do it and like you know like and you know I can I can say like just from you know my own like it, going back through the media updates that they send us on like whether or not they're shoot around that day I counted for um like of the like I believe it was like 31 or 32 home games that they played this season like actually at their home um 14 of them at least uh, by my count, they told us there was no shoot around. So like, this is something, this is, I know that this is something that was new in headlines. So people that are not covering the team, like it may be news to them. And like, it's like, oh, the Lakers have their worst two shooting nights, right? As people are talking about no shoot arounds, like, but the Lakers have not been having shoot around all year. And if their problem is tired legs, I don't really think that having an extra shoot around is necessarily the Will help with that. that, exactly. You know, like, I, I think that, Maybe it could help. I'm not willing to rule it out because I'm not like a you know physical therapist or a doctor or whatever. Maybe there are advantages to that, especially in the long run. I don't know. But I, I, I what I'm saying is that they've won 50 games while having you know at best sporadic like 50 percent of the time shoot arounds. And so if that is a motivation for them, where as long as they play well, they can skip shoot around. Like I, I especially for the stars. Like you know I, I think that hey like I, I think that's totally fair. And I think that that's it goes back to what I was talking about with Vogel of kind of pushing the right buttons in terms of motivating this team. We're like, hey, if you play well, we don't have to have shoot around. But if you if you aren't playing well, like I like I would honestly kind of the Lakers are not practicing today or they're at least not having media availability. I would somewhat expect them to have a shoot around tomorrow uh, because this is now two games where they've shot really poorly. Um, and so I think that kind of, you know, like that's not really necessarily holding up their end of the bargain on that. But I don't know. Like, you know, I would but I would I would say I will not be surprised if we get like a ping later tonight that uh, they're having shoot around tomorrow. So here's when to jump on Zoom. No, definitely. And, you know, like you said, it's, it's, I can't take anything seriously right now with the shooting wars because it's two games, it's too small a sample yeah. size as well. And you're playing, you know, for, for all we want to, you know, dog on the Clippers and so you play two of the best defensive teams in the NBA as well. Yeah. So it, you know, you are going to shoot worse against them than you would, let's say, you know, the Washington Wizards, you know, we, yeah. saw, we saw how well, you know, all yeah. the, the bench guys shot against the Wizards. Like, it's difficult to do that, you know. Um, but it, I, I'm not worried. You don't seem to be particularly worried by it either. Um, it, it just seems to be a thing of, like, people, um, and, I, you know, I think everyone gets lost in it a little bit because, you know, the, the games technically have significance, but they don't really, not in the Lakers, because 
it's not like you know they're in, involved in that like three to seven matchup, but there's like two and a half games between like whether you're third or seventh. So that that's a huge thing, you know. If you win or lose a game, if you drop a game there, um, so I, I'm I'm just excited to see the rotations, how Frank Vogel builds on you know what he's seeing. Markeith Morris's minutes will go up, I assume. You know, obviously, yeah, it's, it, he's got to play his way into shape. But like, I, I do assume he will be part of this rotation at some point. Um, I'm excited to see more J.R. Smith minutes just to see what he can offer yeah. um, in an actual NBA environment and not playing against the Wizards, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I feel yeah, really no, bad hey, for that's fair. Like, the Wizards, they, they played but... against the Capital City Go-Go the other day. Like, that was not, uh, <laughs> that's not even the real Wizards that they were taking on. No. And, you know, obviously, and it was nice to see Bunger and Wagner and, you know, Thomas Bryant as well, you know, shouts to Magic Johnson for getting rid of Thomas Bryant for nothing, you know. Yeah. Great decision, um, <laughs> but you know, I'm 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 still optimistic. You know, obviously play the Jazz tomorrow. Um, you know, how do you feel about the Jazz matchup? Is there anything that you know you're worried about with the Jazz? I'm not particularly, especially with no Bogdanovich there. You know, no, it's... yeah, I mean, I believe did the Lakers even lose to them this year? Are they undefeated against no. the Jazz? Undefeated against yeah, the Jazz. Yeah, I'm the Jazz. Do not concern me as a matchup. No. I think um, the the Lakers they have that one, you know, like uh, yeah, yeah, like I, I'm the Jazz. I, I think, like you know, I, I keep I've been finding it amusing all of the uh, like defensive player of the year ballots and like look like on on one hand I understand you are supposed to base it on the current season and mm-hmm. like Rudy Gobert like you know you can look at the defensive metrics you can make an argument certainly because ad's have been so mixed by like playing so much with lakers bench and rondo and like mm-hmm. all of those guys that rudy gobert statistically appears to have had a bigger impact on the jazz defense than anthony davis has had on mm-hmm. the lakers like i think that when we have seen time and time again like that rudy gobert get just exposed and exposed and exposed in the playoffs like i don't know i'm just tired of like pretending like rudy gobert is like this you know i you know as a longtime jazz fan i hope they super max him but um i'm a <laughs> you know look like i just you know i i'm not there on rudy gobert like i, I don't I, i'm not totally there on donovan mitchell i think the bogdanovich losses you know even if the lakers lose this game like i, I the jazz do not concern me as like a playoff matchup for the lakers really at all it, and, and I agree with you. And I didn't want to touch on the like the whole like you know awards because I think it's ridiculous that a ad you know I think Giannis has been phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. And if I was voting for the MVP, Giannis would probably have my vote. Yeah. But the fact that ad isn't the favorite to be defensive player of the year, I think. Look, I think Giannis has an argument. Like I just uh, mm-hmm. like you know I, I as someone who covers the Lakers and watches them a lot more closely I would go AD but I also like you know I, I I'm probably a little bit biased there. Well, it's that thing of you know I am definitely I'm biased. Yeah, but I understand. I understand the Giannis. Maybe you know you'd rather vote for Giannis than AD. But like you said, the Go Bear thing is you know we talked Giannis about. Giannis also like, has I- an easier role defensively, in my personal opinion. I, I agree. I've never played NBA basketball, so I don't know. Um, Giannis, <laughs> uh, Giannis appears to me to have an easier defensive role than Anthony Davis does, and certainly one that is more set up to make for him to have success. Like you know, he is one of the best defenders in the league, and so he's not always tasked with the Bucks 
Bucks' toughest perimeter matchup. But even when he is, that is something that he's very well suited to make life hard mm-hmm. on that player. Um, Anthony Davis, like he can lock his man down. Like we've seen, he has no problem with that. The Lakers' defensive system is set up to be effective, but it's also playing somewhat of a numbers game where, you know, Anthony Davis's numbers are going to be impacted not only by playing with the bench and by playing with bad defenders, but also by the Lakers funnel guys to him very much. Yeah. And so when you're funneling guys towards the rim, there are going to be games where they go off. There are going to be games where your numbers look bad because they were hitting shots over you, even though you contested it well. But more often than not, we're seeing with the Lakers defense that like that system is working for them. And like Anthony Davis has been a big part of that, like that swarming, you know, wall of arms that they create at the rim to force guys into tough shots. And so like, is that going to make his like one on his like matchup numbers look bad sometimes? Absolutely. Is that going to, is him, you know, playing with Rondo, playing with the bench, you know, those lineups that just like playing early on in the year, playing with like Rondo Coos lineups where that like just could not defend anyone. Is that going to hurt Anthony Davis's on off defensive numbers? Of course. Like, but, um, you know, I think that he probably he just makes life so difficult for guys out there that and he's so versatile in terms of being able to defend basically anyone on the floor. Like, you know, he would be my pick for defensive player of the year. Although I think that like at least certainly Giannis has a case and, you know, like I can kind of like grumble and say, like, go bear, whatever. Like, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't vote <laughs> for it, but yeah, I get it. it. No, and, you know, I think like. And then, and then also f- another thing for me that um, detracts a little bit from Giannis is he's basically played, I think this is Mike Budenholzer's third or fourth year in Milwaukee. I'm not sure exactly. I think it's... But he's been in the same... It? Is it? Second, uh, I believe. Yeah. Wow. It feels a lot longer than that. Well, I mean, really? everything feels like it's been like five years. I might be wrong. It could be third or fourth. It could be... I could be wrong, but I think it's only a second year. No, you're right because Lloyd Pierce replaced yeah. uh, Mike Budenholzer uh, in Atlanta. No, you're right. You are definitely right with that because Jason Kidd was obviously unemployed last year, yeah. and that was the only. Yeah, you're, you're correct. You're definitely correct. But even so, yeah, he has more for familiar- knowledge. I follow that. <laughs> uh, shows how much I follow. <laughs> As soon as Toletovich left that franchise, it was done for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, um, obviously, Mike, he's had more time to acclimatize to what Mike Budenholzer wants from his defense. You know, he has a lot more familiarity with the players that he's played with. AD's basically been thrown into a situation, like you said, especially early in the season, he was playing with some god awful defensive lineups. And the weird thing is, when he was playing with those defensive lineups and where his numbers were a bit skewed defensively, he was getting more buzz for defensive player of the year. That's the part that I don't get personally. That, the Lakers had a good defense. People weren't digging into the on-off numbers quite yet because it was such mm-hmm. a small sample size, at least in my opinion. And it's also like, it's just watching the games. Like, you could tell that he had an impact. It's like, I think people start to think a little bit too deeply on it sometimes later in the year and, you know, like, without getting into the full context. This is why, like, you know, I think that there would be problems with this too. But like, I also think that like advanced scouts should get a lot, uh, should get some part of the vote for these awards. I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. think the solution is to have players vote. We see from the all-star that they don't take it seriously enough. I don't think that like having head coaches vote is the solution either because those guys, like they just have so many things to worry about with their team. They don't always have the best handle like on the entire league as a whole. Like the advanced scouts are the guys whose like opinions I really, really trust on this stuff. Like, and so like, I think there are some media members that take it really seriously 
seriously, but then you have like, you know, a lot of the local broadcasters or guys like that that just like kind of just vote for their team and whatever. And it's just like, you know, I, I think there should be like some counterbalancing there a little bit. Oh, and, and you know, people get so caught up in groupthink, I think, sometimes, too. And look, we're, yeah, all, I agree. we're all prone to that. But I think that sometimes it's like one of the smart NBA people says something and then every like other people, Everyone like, follows I, you know, like Zach Lowe says something. And Zach Lowe's a guy who's like, I, I completely respect his opinion. He does his research as much as like anybody. But then, like, I think a lot of the times like the internet community sees Zach Lowe say something and they're like, OK, well, so that's just true. And, you know, look, mm -hmm. I've I've parroted his opinions. I've taken like him, his research on things as like, you know, a way to read up for my own sake on certain mm -hmm. things. I don't go out and do my research on every single team. I don't have time to do that. I cover the Lakers, but like that's me speaking as someone who knows these weaknesses and as a result would not want an awards vote if one was offered to me, because I don't think that I have the understanding to do it. Um, but like, I, again, I also think that sometimes when you don't follow a team as closely and you aren't like watching, you know, tons of their games throughout the year, like guys like him, Mike Prada, like other guys like that do, then I think that you're a little bit more prone to get caught up in the group think or to overthink it with analytics or whatever it may be. No, and I think that's a really good point as well. Um, the, 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 see, I, and I think we're in agreement. There needs to be some type of revamp when it comes to these awards, the way it's voted for anyway, because um, the, the media, like you said, like you just have to watch sometimes like an ESPN show just to see how much someone watches the Lakers, you know, or let's say Colin, I'll just name drop Colin Coward in there saying, you know, Rondo's their second best defensive guard. It's obvious he's watched approximately three Laker games this year. Yeah. And also like, he's a guy that has to cover every single sport. We shouldn't expect mm -hmm. him to watch like every exactly, single, precisely. Like, like, you know, like, and I think there are probably, I don't know if he has a vote, but there are people with votes that like, you know, we can't reasonably expect them to watch like enough games to have an informed opinion on the entire league. And so like, I, I think that's where you see groupthink get caught up. I think that sometimes the, I, I think that the awards should be public, but I think one of the downsides of that is that it's led to, you don't want to be the one guy who voted for someone like whatever. And like, so, you know, I think that that's led to some people curbing some of their worst instincts mm -hmm. in terms of like voting for a guy just so they can write a column on why they voted for them for MVP. But like, also I think that sometimes like it makes people afraid to go against the grain because they don't want to get flamed on Twitter all day. <laughs> which is you know i think the lakers biggest fear as well right yeah now. yeah <laughs> shouts to danny green hope yeah, you stay safe that, uh, in this I, uncertain I, time yeah danny green should stay off twitter i would say for like the next like 48 hours or so or until his next good shooting night let's hope he goes like six or seven against the jazz <laughs> yeah, I, hey there's a chance oh there's a chance i with anything against the jazz there really is <laughs> yeah just before we round up, um, I, I always like springing this on guests. And obviously, ever since Kobe Bryant passed away, what I've been doing with every guest is asking them, on, on a surprise, I don't tell them about it, their favorite Kobe moment of all time, um, just to get your perspective on it. And I see your face straight away, yeah, um, <laughs> which is why I spring it on people. Because no, I, think I, it's a very... like, I mean, honestly, like, I think favorites, like, uh, you know, an interesting word there, uh, like, just in terms of like, like, I think the moment that to me most encapsulated Kobe's approach was shooting free throw on the torn Achilles and trying to pop his own Achilles back in. Like, obviously, I don't think that that's my favorite Kobe moment just because mm -hmm. it sucked. Um, but, like, it is, I think, the one to me that, like, most encapsulates his approach to the game. Like, I mean, in terms of, like, actual favorite moment that I experienced, like, growing up as a Kobe fan, like, all, like mm -hmm. you know, it was probably, um, like, game seven, even though he did not shoot 
particularly well in that game. It was just like, it was incredible to watch like the euphoria of like, he had knocked off the Celtics. He found other ways to win. He did all the things that people criticized him during his career for not doing. He passed the ball to an open teammate. Like he, he went and got rebounds and was effective in more ways than when a shot was off and stuff like that. Like I, that game is like, it's propped up by people who wanted to like, you know, before he died, who wanted to like, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, were Kobe haters um, and wanted to like, you know, clap back against like people calling saying, you know, wherever he ranked all time. Um, but like, I, I think that in a lot of games that that game is an answer to like a lot of those people's career long criticisms of mm-hmm. Kobe. Um, and so like, you know, that one springs to mind. Uh, I remember, you know, like in terms of like personal moments or whatever, as someone who like covered the team very briefly while he was around, like, you know, just my first time in the Lakers locker room, having him move me out of the way, uh, to get to the training table, like, because I was, you know, I was uh, kind of awestruck my first time walking in there. Like, it was like, oh, I didn't realize that like people were actually like, I realized that people were allowed in there. It just didn't feel real. And I'm like standing on the logo and it just like Kobe in trying to do, you know, things in his exact routine, the most efficient way possible was not willing to move, walk around someone to get to the training room. <laughs> like, no, 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 I only have so many steps left in these legs. It, like, excuse me. And like heading over there. And I thought that really like just, you know, it, it's a small thing, but it was like, it, that was really a welcome to like writing moment for me of like, oh, wow. Kobe just like moved me like my shoulder and stuff. And this is not complete. Like I didn't take offense to it, whatever I was in his way and like walking mm-hmm. around with my jaw dropped, like just amazed that like, I, <laughs> I was in there. like, um, you know, even though no one was really in there at the time other than other media members, but like, mm-hmm. it was just, you know, a weird, like, it was like a cool moment in my career of like, you know, you've actually like, you're actually covering this team now. Um, and then like that just like put it like kind of over the top and like, it's like, Oh yeah. Like Kobe is in here. Like he walks through here sometimes. Um, and so yeah, like, I, I'll always remember that one. And that that's why I ask people because I think it, a, it, it, it continues the legacy of Kobe Bryant, which, you know, I'm all for because, you know, Kobe, you know, was my favorite player. As you can see behind me, you know, there's two Kobe jerseys hung up. That's been hung up there for 10 years. Not, not because, you know, his passing away, sadly. It's because, you know, you know, growing up as a Lakers fan, you know, being born in the late 90s, I don't remember a Laker team ever not having something associated with Kobe Bryant, you know? Yeah, and so, I've, I've told this story before too, but I just this just jumped into my mind as well. Like the, the last time I saw him in person was, uh, or the last two times I saw him in person were very much like, Kobe the girl dad one of them was uh when he was watching that Laker game courtside against the Hawks mm-hmm. um and with uh with Gigi and like they were sitting there and you know that was the night that like that video went viral for a while of like yeah. him explaining that people were using it as a reaction me- image of like him like coaching her out on like something that was happening on the floor and explaining it and her like nodding along all excited and you know getting to sit there courtside and watch a game with her dad like any of us would be excited for that but her dad was Kobe Bryant and he was like breaking down <laughs> technical stuff like that you know it was cool and like I remember the last time I saw him up close in person was I was walking around Disneyland it was the day the Anthony Davis trade went down and uh he, like he just passed me and I was walking with uh my friend and uh she like she turns to me and she's like was that just Kobe that just walked past us and I was like no it couldn't and then I looked back and yeah it was him like he had one of his daughters on his shoulder he had I believe Gigi was like holding his hand or right next to him uh like N- Natalia was off up ahead and like you know like it, it was just like he just looked happy and like I, I think that that that's just what made it more sad to me than anything like beyond like it just he had 
done what we all want to do, like is find fulfillment in something, especially beyond our career. And I think being a dad had clearly become that for him. And that's what just made it like even more sad to me than anything was just like, I think he was finally getting to like after, you know, 20 years of single, longer than that, if you're including before his NBA career of like single minded determination on this one goal of like, he was actually getting to experience the fruits of his labor. And like, you know, that was like just cut all too short. And it's just, it made it even sadder to me. And especially like for the fact that, you know, his daughter went with him. Definitely. And, you know, it is a sad time, but also I'm I'm very grateful that we do have these moments to talk about at the same time. It's really nice. You know, it's, 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 I wouldn't say, you know, it, it's it's it, it's it's an everlasting legacy of the man that, you know, people associated with the Lakers and just the NBA in general will always have, I think, because, you know, I think he's become synonymous with the NBA. You know, if you talk no NBA, if you know nothing about the NBA, you'll know who Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant and LeBron James are. Yep. Which yeah, is absolutely. The, which is the biggest legacy to leave, in my yeah. opinion, anyway. Yeah, I mean, they're, they they transcended basketball with, uh, you know, the impact that they had on people. And they, they made people basketball fans. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, you know, let's just round things up, Harrison. You know, I've really enjoyed this chat. These 50-odd minutes have absolutely flown by. Um, where can the people follow you, find your work, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at H-M-F-A-I-G-E-N. That's at H-M-Fagan. That is where I am most frequently. Um, I uh, I write for silverscreenandroll.com, uh, where we try to cover, like, every Laker story as thoughtfully as we can. And uh, sometimes, you know, like, and I'm really proud of the work that we've been doing, you know, over the course of the pandemic. And then since the season has restarted, I think that, uh, you know, our group has activated playoff mode pretty quickly and I'm proud of the stuff that we've had up there. Um, and so, like, yeah, I mean, uh, that that's pretty much it. Uh, yeah, so those are the places you can find me. Uh, we do the I do the Silver Screen and Roll podcast at least once a week as well. I, I can corroborate that you guys have been activated on playoff mode. I follow <laughs> you guys. You guys are phenomenal. Well, really mostly, are. mostly Christian and Sabrina, uh, but, like, also, like, uh, you know, like I, I'm doing my best. You chip in. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, if if you don't follow Silver Screen and Roll and you're a Lakers fan, what are you doing with your life? That, that, <laughs> that's, that's all I'll say. I appreciate you know. that. No, thank you for everyone listening. And please be sure to leave the Lakers side chats a five star review on Apple Podcasts wherever you find it. Be sure to leave the Silver Screen and Roll podcast as well a five star review. Go listen to it as well. Phenomenal work, you know, Sabrina, you, uh, Anthony Irwin still jumps on from time to time. Yeah, he still, he still does uh, the podcast. We got Alex and Alex uh, doing doing one of our podcast episodes. And, you know, like, yeah, uh, Jacob Rude, um, you know, the, Dr. Brar chips in with uh, some writing. Everybody knows 3CB performance, or at least they're starting to, I think, at this point. Precisely, um, yeah. yeah. You know, like, I, I apologize if I'm missing anyone. But, like, yeah, like, like our, our staff is incredible. And, like, you know, I, I uh, like, I, I miss working with, like, some of the people that have had to leave but um mm-hmm. you know like i'm i'm proud of the team that we've been able to keep together and the work that they're doing to step up well hopefully harrison we won't wait this long again before we do another podcast because i've really enjoyed this yeah i'm up for it <laughs> and you know it's nice recording when it's not past midnight I yeah i can imagine that. i can re- I can relate to that as someone who used to podcast uh you know five times a week for locked in when i was doing locked on lakers while i was still in school running a student mm-hmm. newspaper and you know also doing like uh, i think i was at lakers nation at the time like yeah i mean uh, there were nights i had to record after midnight that sucks and so uh like <laughs> yeah i'm also glad that we were not recording after midnight <laughs> 
thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed the listen. Have a great time. Take care of yourselves. Stay safe.